the takeaway for me and talking to other people who may be in my situation, you may think you're fit, or as Pat Sherwood used to call the display model only. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's not enough. I always love that, the DMO. Yeah. Uh, it's stressing the importance of not relying solely on that, like everybody. Hmm. Just go get a baseline check on all of your markers to see where you're landing right now, because I know it's fluid and things can change, but you need to know. And mm-hmm. that helped me make better decisions about you know what I was doing with my diet, even how I was working out. And when I started to, we were planning for a family, things that you need to do. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. I was very excited to welcome Jen Hunter-Marshall to the podcast in this episode. Jen is a CrossFit Level 4 coach. She's a seminar staff flow master, an affiliate owner, and a former CrossFit Games athlete as well. And in this episode, we shared a very candid conversation about some of the health challenges that she's experienced over the years, including a challenging diagnosis with celiac disease and her journey with infertility and pregnancy complications. And Jen really opens up and shares about her experiences and what helped her to overcome some of these challenges, including the importance of advocating for yourself within the medical system, and why it's so important for everyone, no matter how fit you are, to get your labs and biomarkers checked regularly. I really enjoyed connecting with Jen, and I just love her willingness to share and be vulnerable about some of these very sensitive topics, because she really has a passion for using her own story to help other people. Hope you enjoy as well. Now, before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. With that, let's get to the episode. Welcome to First Living Health. I'm really excited to be here today with Jen Hunter-Marshall. And I actually, I've talked about on the podcast several times, my CrossFit Level 1 and how much that seminar changed my life. And Jen was one of the trainers at that seminar. So it's really cool to come full circle and have you here to be able to share your story. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) Well, I thought we could start with the classic question of how did you start CrossFit? How did you get into it? Uh, So it was a case of FOMO. (laughs) Oh, all right. (laughs) This was early... 2006 and we just moved out to Colorado Dennis Marshall my now husband but then boyfriend mm-hmm. and uh, he talked me out of uh, or talked me into leaving New York to follow him to Colorado okay uh, it's the story of like through people who come into your life for a reason a season or a lifetime he was managing a gym in Greeley. Okay. Which is known for cows, I guess, in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. But I, I, I heard that there's sometimes smell, but anyway. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he got a job, wanted to get out of New York and insurance. And, and uh, there was a guy walked into his gym and said, have you ever heard about CrossFit? And he was like, no, what is it? And that was the extent of their relationship. Wow. And then like read everything that he could get his hands on. Came <laughs> home. I was like, we need to do this. And I was like, what is this? And, and he was like, full on. Uh, I, I, I paid half of his um, level one deposit. Okay. Paid this deposit for his level one. 
And then I dipped my toes in. I was like, well, if he's doing it, like maybe I can do it better. And that's how I- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So FOMO, or you just wanted to be competitive to- and beat your boyfriend. <laughs> that was it. I was like, okay, something we can do together. And then that's been pretty much our story. So <laughs> the rest <laughs> is like, history. And that's it. Level two, when we got tapped to be on seminar staff, um, I think because we were made a good team, but mm-hmm. we also complimented each other in terms of our personalities. So mm-hmm. it worked out well because we worked together a lot. <laughs> that's so awesome. I didn't realize that, that you worked so many seminars together. That's really cool. Yeah, sometimes it's fun. Like now, <laughs> <laughs> we're both flow masters. Uh-huh. So we get the email, like, who's going to be in charge this weekend? <laughs> you got to listen to me this weekend. <laughs> I get to make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's fun, but he loves it. He's like, you're in charge. Okay. Online. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's so great. So were you both really into fitness working out before you started CrossFit? What was your background prior? So I was, hmm, I ran track in high school and then I got an army ROTC scholarship to college, Air Force and Army. And I, I ended up taking the army to go to William and Mary. Mm-hmm. And so that PT became my sport then. So I didn't okay. do in college, but at the same time, I was like a senior in high school after I got my um, scholarship, I, I ended up having an undiagnosed um, or not undiagnosed, but uh, autoimmune issue. So I got mm. really sick, but I could still function. There were just like some things that they couldn't quite put together what was wrong okay. and didn't manifest fully until I got to college. Like, and so um, I ended up not finishing. I did two years of the RTC scholarship and then tried to deal with some health issues. And mm-hmm. that's kind of started my journey into health and fitness because of that first, um, not even first, but the experience with the, the medical, uh, at that time and like not being able to get a clear diagnosis and just being told like really strange things. Like I developed, um, I took a shower once and I ended up getting like hives all over the, where the water hit. They're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it seems like you have an allergy to water. That's what somebody told me. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't. I, can't <laughs> I think I need that to live. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. <laughs> Walk around. I'm like in college, you know, I'm a girl, you're around, you know, trying to date and all those things. I can't stink. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I took a shower. Oh my goodness. Like, Don't do that. So weird things like that. And um, I ended up with um, the initial diagnosis was galeloderma. Okay. But I only had a few like markers or indicators that might suggest that that was what it was. And so struggled with that and uh, was on steroids and things and making you gain weight. And so mm. that's really when I got into like working out, but it was just that part of it. I didn't get into like health food and other parts of uh, how health is related to fitness. Mm-hmm. That's the only part that I tapped into at first and then. Um, fast forward to, I think it was, this is prior to CrossFit, probably 2004, five-ish. Um, I was suffering from another autoimmune issue with mm-hmm. uh, eczema, which I've had all my life. Okay. And 
just to the point where my face would flake, just disfiguring, I felt, and yeah. like not having any help from any dermatologist. They're just like, take this. Here's a cream. Yeah, basically a cream. And I remember walking down Fifth Avenue in New York City, just crying because I couldn't get any relief. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was turned on to a, she was considered a functional nutritionist at the time. So I was okay. about some kind of like- Early before a lot, this was before this was widely available. And she helped me like put on some juice fasting kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. we didn't get to the root of the problem, but changing my diet, I knew things changed, like everything cleared up, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't live off juices forever. (laughs) But but it was eliminating like processed food. Now I know more. And then 2006, we move out to Colorado and find CrossFit. I start reading the journals and hear about paleo and all these things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is how I should eat. And like changing and like putting all the pieces of the puzzle together that it's still not having everything. Mm -hmm. And that changed. So I was feeling better, looking better, but I was still having some nagging like stomach issues every once in a while because you on the weekends. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like weekends, 80% of the time you're good, 20% you're bad. So I had that part down. And then uh, I think it was 2009, I was diagnosed with celiac. Okay. Um, I finished that because I was just in pain all the time, having the swelling. And I was told that it was all in my head. I need mm. to see a psychiatrist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But then things, when I've got that diagnosis, all of the issues I had since I was a child started to clear. And that is the root of, I have many autoimmune issues. And and then going into trying to start a family. So Dennis and I got married in 2008 and the height of our CrossFit, we're traveling all around the world. So you think you have time. You're like, you know what? I got it. Sub four minute friend. I'm fit. all these things. Yeah, I'm totally fit. I'm good. I'm not one of you know. I'm gonna be fine. I'll be. Yeah. I'll have kids at 35, and everything will be good. Yeah. And then things weren't happening, and uh, you still think, okay, I'm competing. I was doing regionals every year, so I think I got time and doing mm-hmm. the thing. And then finally slowed down and started to look to see what was happening, and then got bumped up against another wall. Like, oh, there's a problem. Mm. It turns out I had silent endometriosis, which is mm. another yeah. disorder which can contribute to infertility. Um, and then, uh, so we went through like five or six years of infertility treatments, not working. Wow. And uh, not until 2017, I had my son. And then 2019, I had my daughter but in my forties. So it was like some 37 till a long journey. Yeah. A long, long, long journey. Whereas if I had had all that information that I found out along the way earlier on, Mm -hmm. perhaps it would have, it would have changed the course of things perhaps, but yeah, where we land. And so I'm very happy with my little family. They're here. Um, But it definitely was not an easy journey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not an easy journey and not straightforward and, and very long. And I, there's so much that I want to unpack there, but I want to kind of go back just because I think you said, you know, these symptoms that you'd had even since childhood, but really when they started to affect, you know, to the point where you had to um, scale back on school a little bit in college, that was 
probably, it sounded like six or seven years from that point until you actually got a celiac disease diagnosis, which is a long time. Mm-hmm. And I know that even back then, I would say probably people weren't checking for it as often as they are now. Um, and now it's more probably widely known about, but just to, just to understand kind of what you went through and the, the symptoms that you were experiencing and what that, that period was like for you. It was, it was tough because you felt alone. Like nobody, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, colitis, mm-hmm. um, Crohn's at one point. Wow. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And prescribed medication. And I remember one medication they put me on. I think I had it for a day and they called my mother and told her to tell me to stop taking it because it had been pulled. Oh, because wow. I, I was like, whoa. Like, okay. okay. <laughs> and probably most of those medications were to address the symptoms, right? Like, so for irritable bowel, they might be to control like pain or cramping or, you know, for, like we said, for skin, it's probably to dampen your immune systems so that you can resolve the skin rashes you're seeing, but none of them were really addressing the root cause, which was the gluten in your case. Right. And masking it. And the scleroderma diagnosis, it, all of the symptoms that I was having, I had hair loss, I had uh, lesions on my skin. Like I had scarring mm-hmm. probably, how do you a rough estimate? About 75% of my body had like bruises or like um, scabby type of, wow. remember, like I would yeah. not leave the house because it affected my face. Yeah. And as a young girl, you're, you know, the teenage years going into the early 20s. Those are hard enough as it is. Yeah. And I had to, I wore a a wig to pretend to be one of the uh aha girls. This is how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Pepsi or Coca-Cola with Ray Charles had the uh aha girls behind it, but (laughs) either that or a Romulan, any Star Trek fans out there. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that's what I look like to cover it up. But I tried to make it, uh, do the best that I could with a tough mm-hmm. situation. And um, there was, um, I don't know if it was a result of medication or just whatever autoimmune issue I had, there was at one point I lost the pigment in my skin. Oh, geez. Which was crazy. My grandmother came to visit and she thought, she said, you turned into Michael Jackson as a joke, oh. but that's, that's, it wasn't vitiligo, but my skin became so um, transparent, paper thin. Mm-hmm. It was like, and wow. So, and I still worry about that because I didn't get a, a true diagnosis. They mm-hmm. had ideas. Um, I was like, is that going to come back? How is that mm-hmm. going to affect other sure. things? On? So that happened and um, you just feel alone. Mm-hmm. Again, the hardest thing. And that and the support of the fam- my family was the only thing that helped me get through it. And my father to say, you never, you keep your head up. You have no reason to put your head down. You should be proud of who you are because I would, it, it became just a, a coping mechanism to just turn into myself and yeah. just being kind of an introvert and isolate myself because I was so distraught just of how I physically looked. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's well, what. and to have, to feel like nobody could, could really help. But then also, like you said, some doctors were saying, oh, this is, you know, all in your head or you need to see a psychiatrist, I can only imagine how that must have felt. 
It's tough because you, you, I know other people who may have experienced stuff where doctors say, you just need to talk, talk it out. And you're like, no, this is real. Like, (laughs) out of my head, I did not create this from my mind. Like, this is, you feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. 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 you know, we didn't have access to like the internet back then and like being able to search for things or find mm-hmm. didn't, I guess that's it, didn't have access to any other stories or any, I couldn't find anybody to relate to what I was going through. So yeah. that led to the isolation, but yeah. Very cool that through CrossFit though, you were exposed to a lot of new um, ideas. Like you said, this paleo and just being able to understand the impact of food and um, how was it that, what was it that finally led you down the path of being diagnosed with celiac disease? Um, just again, being disappointed in the care that I was, the traditional care that mm-hmm. you get for the doctor, like something's mm-hmm. wrong, just help me find it. I, I, I know myself. Yeah. And just finding the right people at the right time. So I talked about how people come into your life yeah. or in our lifetime. I've been blessed to have many people who, unfortunately, it was just for that one reason. I don't yeah. know. But I wish I could thank them because they have blessed me so much. And one was a um, dentist before we opened our gym was a strength conditioning coach for um, professional hockey players at a, a small, uh, when they were off season okay. in New York. And the owner of the facility was ahead of his time, like had a connection to Dr. Lynchitz, who opened his own, um, I guess, functional medicine uh, clinic, I mm-hmm. guess is the best way to describe it in New York. And that was the first time I ever heard of something like that. And okay. one of the doctors there, he's like, you need to go. He told Dennis, I'll get you in, get you yeah. in and see somebody. And that's when I met my first doctor, Dr. Dashiv, and he spent an hour with me, which was unheard of. Cause every yeah. time I went into yeah. like five, 10 minutes, they seemed like they were bored and ready to get me out of there. And a whole hour, I mean, it was out of pocket because that's just how it was. Right. Like get everything out. And even before he did any blood work, say, based on what you're saying, I'm, I'm gonna guess at the very, at the best, you have some type of gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. Worst, you have celiac. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna do all these tests and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. On top of that, he found I had a hypothyroid, adrenal fatigue, um, my cortisol levels were high, a whole bunch of things were going yeah. on. But based on the blood work that I got from the previous traditional doctor I had, I was fine. And also my A1C was high. Wow. Nobody, it, he said, because they don't look for it. Like it, I wasn't pre-diabetic, but mm-hmm. I was towards it. It's like, we need to look at trends in the numbers. Yeah. I want to address this now versus before it becomes. Yeah. And of course, I've been doing CrossFit. Yeah. You know, I'm happy. I got some good times on my workouts. Right. On CSI, this should not be the case. (laughs) This is not adding up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm not overweight or, you know, girls are like, oh, maybe I can vanity three pounds. But anyway. (laughs) 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 But uh, I, I was shocked. But I have a family history of my, of adults in my family as they get older mm-hmm. becoming diabetic. Um, so he says, you know, yes, there's genetic component, but I don't want to rely on that. Like I treat mm-hmm. 
you and the numbers. And I was like, okay. And I was with him for many, many years and he helped get me to mm-hmm. closer to today. I'm doing the, the nutrition course right yes. now. Yes, <laughs> on our sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. Yeah. Yes, he helped move that needle. Move the needle and recognize the importance of looking at all of those health metrics as well. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that. I was looking at, you know, my deadlift and totally. my on workouts and how I felt which is subjective if you don't have like well that's something but what else is going on and help me move my numbers my health markers that mm-hmm. direction for many years. <laughs> that's amazing and so many great points in there you know one being that just because you know your fitness markers are good we have to take everything into consideration that sickness wellness fitness continuum is based on all of the markers that you can possibly measure so mm-hmm you know, looking at your performance markers is important, but we also want to see where everything else is. Um, And I bet too, how, how your, how those numbers probably mirrored your symptoms. I would expect that as those started to improve, your symptoms started to improve also. Um, And that, that concept too, of, of really trying to be proactive and catch things before they become a problem versus how most of our conventional system acts, which is let's wait around until you develop a disease before we do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess the takeaway for me and talking to other people who may be in my situation, you may think you're fit, or as Pat Sherwood used to call the display model only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. That's not enough. I always love that, the DMO. Yeah. Uh, it's stressing the importance of not relying solely on that. Like everybody mm-hmm. should just go get a baseline check on all of your, your markers to see where you're landing right now, because I know it's fluid and things can change, but you need to know. And mm-hmm. that helped me make better decisions about, you know, what I was doing with my diet, even how I was working out. And when I started to, we were planning for a family, like things that you need to do yeah. that you're not account. So, yeah. So as you started working with him, what were some of the, well, first, what did you notice as you um, eliminated gluten from your diet completely? Felt a lot better. So I got most of the way following the paleo. Like when I started doing that in 2006, mm-hmm. seven, um, but I was having those cheats, still pizza or burgers yeah. like that on the weekends. So he was like, you can't have that anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. But you, <laughs> like, darn it. I feel better. I perform yeah. better. Um, getting my thyroid under control. Like that was another thing that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm tired, but I work out a lot. And I was a trainer. I got up early in the morning. So I'm just tired because yeah, I work a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. And um, so once I got that figured out, I felt so much better. And um head cleared, had more energy for workouts. Actually, my numbers improved even more. <laughs> my fitness markers. Of course. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's a, what I noticed. Um, and I still continue to work on my numbers. So I get blood work done uh, every three to six months mm-hmm. just to make sure everything is still trending in the right direction. Um, so far, I'm good. I get blood work done next week just to make sure um, everything right. is still good. But I have a new doctor, unfortunately, Mr. D. I call him Dr. D. He uh-huh. had passed away like mm-hmm. uh, a year, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he, he got me through a lot and uh, was a pioneer at the time because he was the only one. Now there's a lot. So more many. Yeah. 
Amazing. That's amazing. Um, just to have a conversation with the mm-hmm. doctor. Like, wow, just to just, sit and talk and Yeah. Just to hear your whole story, like you said, to sit for an hour and and to really hear everything. Um and to ask more questions versus being told what to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference in like finding the right, you know, whether it's a functional medicine doctor, just finding a good doctor who's not going to be like, well, you need to do this and you need to take this because this is what I think you have. He was mm-hmm. always, and even my current doctor is like, well, how do you feel? What do you notice? Would it be mm-hmm. more of a collaboration? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is how I think it should be. It should be, right? <laughs> You're the expert in your body, right? You're living in it. That's amazing. Um, through the years of working with those doctors, has there been anything else that's really moved the needle for you in terms of changes you've made or um, other interventions you've done that have that have helped as much as I don't know as much, but similar to removing gluten? Um, let me see. Not that I can think. It's just like tweaking. I think now, mm-hmm. like fine tuning, really big changes like doing um what i had done like a uh, an elimination diet i just did mm-hmm. recently it was interesting because i eat a lot of eggs and i found out now i've developed an allergy or at least mm-hmm. a sensitivity to eggs mm-hmm. and thinking that out because i was starting to have some gut related issues and how important yeah. gut health is like i didn't think about that mm-hmm. <laughs> as much i was like oh, okay i'm doing fine eating these things but even good things that you consider as good for you may cause issues. So eliminating those things and getting the right support for my gut health. And that made a tremendous. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) those things can change over time too, right? Like earlier in life, eggs might not have caused you a problem, but now they do. And maybe there'll come a day where you can tolerate them much better. That was, that was something that happened for me personally. There was a period where I couldn't eat eggs probably for like five or six years. Um, but I've luckily been able to add them back in because I love eating ice. <laughs> so there's still hope for you. <laughs> there's still hope. It can come back. Because like, um, that was a big, I was eating them every day. Yeah. Stable. And I've heard of that where people become sensitive to mm-hmm. certain, especially if there's not a lot of variety. So that's the thing that uh, came up for me because I'm a creature of habit. Yeah. To eat the same things every day. Yeah. And very particular. And so putting more variety of it's all good food but if you eat the same things and how diverse you know just like our exercise you want to do constantly very constantly very that's right <laughs> standing the horizons of my my palate so <laughs> <laughs> right get comfortable with the uncomfortable outside your comfort yeah. zone there that's uh, great exactly it's great mm-hmm. so much well, oh go ahead I'm not, still not too keen on liver, but my, <laughs> I said, you need to eat more organ meat. I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> That's a that. tough one. Yeah. Tough one. If you don't start that young, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're really good at preparing it somehow, but I don't, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Either. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Um, so then let's talk a little bit more about your fertility journey um because as you started to explain it's been just as long and something that maybe you would have approached differently had you known what you know now so um when was it that you first you know realized that maybe you might be having a problem getting pregnant 
Are you trying? And you're like, I figure like I'm healthy. Something should be happening and nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah. And I remember um, prior to us even starting to try, we were still dating at the time. So I'll go back a few years and uh, a client of mine, because before CrossFit, I was a personal trainer and group mm-hmm. exercise, did all of that. And one of my private clients who was, I think she was like 10 years older than me. She was struggling with fertility, actually mm. given up, they, it, it wasn't working for them. They were okay. now in forties and she's like, you should freeze your eggs. Uh-huh. I was like 30. I was like, yeah, you know, technology <laughs> then wasn't as good as it is now. Yeah. And it was expensive to yeah. do. And I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. And she's like, you really should. She shared her story. But of course, you know, if you're not ready to hear it or do anything, sure. engaged yet. And you don't know. Yeah. Oh, and, um, you know, you spend all that time, like not trying to bring you like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am good. And, then and it wasn't happening. And I remember going to visit an OBGYN who I visited her one time and I didn't respond well to her bedside manner. We'll say mm-hmm. that she and she's like well you don't go get checked or something like that you're going to need to see a specialist and Mm. it was just very she wasn't very kind about it she was Mm -hmm. and I was like okay and I didn't want to hear it because of how the message was delivered Mm -hmm. which is something so then nothing was happening and uh I was recommended it was recommended that I go see a fertility doctor. And that's mm-hmm. when the numbers are first checked. Okay. H came back and that's your, um, stimulating hormone. Yeah, exactly. Mine was high. Mm. And so if it's too high, you're, you're, you're in trouble, not impossible, but not good. So mm-hmm. it was high. And I think my AMH is another one that they check and that was not good. And, um, we were actually not good candidates for IVF. Oh, wow. Because what I found out from reading, and I don't know for sure, but people say that clinics don't want, they want to keep their success rate high. So I would be a good candidate based on my numbers. So that oh, interesting. That's what I heard. Don't know for sure, but they weren't trying to, to uh, allow us to do it. And we're paying everything out of pocket too. Mm-hmm. And we found a renegade IVF. <laughs> <laughs> He was like outside of the mainstream. So we went like, <laughs> went like holistic route. I, I spoke to somebody, she was a women's clinic that was like, you know, if we change your diet and take some vitamins, mm-hmm. this thing, we tried that. And she's like, oh, here's this other doctor. Well, he'll do IVF on anybody. If you pay the money. <laughs> okay. Like, like, All right. like, what was I thinking? So we went through um, five rounds of 10. Wow. Yeah. I, That's it, that's a big deal. That was tough. It was a and joke. The shots and the, I remember traveling to seven, and I hate needles. So Dennis was the one. Oh, <laughs> man. Where he couldn't, he wasn't working with me. So I would have to give the shots myself. Like in between, mm. I remember having to go into the bathroom at a gig to give myself a shot because I had to, and it's just crazy. Like the things that, but I need to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> things that you do. You know, it was, it was tough. And then I remember two times um, where they do like the egg retrieval. So you go through all of that and it's all, there's no guarantee. And they think there's 
something. But with the timing and all of that, you can get there and then be nothing. And two times of the five, mm-hmm. thought we were going to at least retrieve one or two follicles. Mm-hmm. They take out nothing. Wow. And devastating. And That's I, so, wow. So bad. You come out of anesthesia and you're like, uh, what? And the girl, the woman next to me, she got 22. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it was weird. The whole, the whole situation was just terrible. Like you're in. So going through that and then um, losing the others that were implanted and early on. So mm-hmm. yeah, I consider it a loss. They were all, they were mine. I didn't make that many. Yeah. Very tough. And then switching doctors and then finally, you know, it working. <laughs> yeah, they got two changing the protocol, but that's what's even wild out there in the land of fertility, because how one clinic did it versus another, like mm-hmm. their protocols, and, and maybe that was it, or maybe it was just the right time or luck, and then we wow. the two, we're done. But um, <laughs> just that process was it. It was financially uh, difficult and just mentally and emotionally, emotionally yeah uh, thank god for crossfit like just that i had that as something to fall not fall back on but just to help relieve like stress that outlet yeah but even that at one point i couldn't do because mm-hmm. when you're going through like retrieval or even when they do the transfer you can't mm-hmm. work out and so oh, the lunch always relied on is my therapy i couldn't do and uh yeah, so that that was that was tough, and then we made it out the other end. And um, getting pregnant, I, I, I kind of frame my my pregnancies as getting pregnant was hard for me. Pregnancy was great. Both of my pregnancies, like during them, uh-huh. and That's... then deliveries, not good. So the yeah. beginning and the end, beginning and the end, we're not good. Not good. Not good. Jeez. Um, and that's where I think CrossFit again came to. My rescue, not that it was CrossFit, but giving me the uh, the ability to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And because I developed preeclampsia with my first, my mm-hmm. son was born 34 weeks. Um, I had to have emergency C-section. Because, uh, my blood pressure kept going up and they were concerned. And this is my first. And again, like I didn't do any prep. I was like, I got this. Yeah, I do CrossFit, I do lots of squats, like I'll be fine. I'm good. I, you yeah. know, I did it at the games as a master. I'm good. And that happened and you have no control over your body. Yeah. And this is nothing that I did because preeclampsia is just response. Like mm-hmm. it's stress. Pregnancy is the stress in the body. And that's how mine responded. And the only cure is to deliver. Mm-hmm. And so they tried to induce, but he was early. It, it was just yeah. things didn't align. And so we had that that proceed the c-section which was traumatic and then i could it was on a, a holiday weekend oh, so he was in a separate wing of the hospital i didn't see him for like a day oh my after gosh and so yeah. that was that was hard and i'm i'm hooked up to what is it magnesium or something mm-hmm. having like boots so <laughs> like can't do anything and had to have somebody wheel me over to the nicu to go see him, but I couldn't get anybody because they it's were holiday. short. Oh so my goodness. Hard. And then being afraid of your own body when you can't, like, why is this happening? And mm-hmm. uh, somebody doesn't take medication and now my heart medication mm-hmm. for an extended period of time until I could get it back down to normal. And then uh, 
deciding to do it again. <laughs> Get right, like, all right, here we go again. I was like, no. But I learned, I, but I, again, I was like, what did I learn from this? Because that's, that's how I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, this happened. Maybe if someone else be like, okay, that, that's enough. We're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go again. But this time I'm going to, you know, get a doula and mm-hmm. do all things and make sure. And everything did go well. I had one spike in my blood pressure, but we were able to, I was admitted. We got it down mm-hmm. I was at home and I made it. But because I had a previous section mm-hmm. and I was advanced maternal age. Mm-hmm. Over <laughs> 35, which is so old. What? <laughs> I look younger than some of these 25 year olds at any, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah. So my doctor who I believe I had a good relationship with and was telling me the truth said that she wanted to deliver me early because mm-hmm. of the age and I had mm-hmm. the pre-section, but she was willing to let me uh, backtrack. I wanted to try to have a vaginal birth the second mm-hmm. time because I felt like I missed. Yeah. A little bit. Like that wasn't my plan. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, well, we'll see. I'm still going to schedule your section for 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you know, they want to have it on the books because if you get in there, they want to have the space available. So they're, yeah. planning, they're planning for like the worst outcome kind of thing. But you may not be ready at 37 weeks. So they're forcing you in. And so you're going to be that's going to mean a section again. Mm-hmm. She's just telling you that. And I was like, oh, no. So it was, it was like, talk to my doctor, my doula. What am I going to do? And so um Something happened with scheduling and they ended up pushing my section to 39 weeks, which my doula was like, that gives us more time. Yeah. I was like, okay. And doing everything, I go in and it was 30, I think 39 and four days. I was made to the hospital. And they do. So yay, I made it past the 34 yeah. weeks. And did you were you admitted with were you in labor or were you no, going so for your schedule? Okay. So, so we'll do the induction. And see that she was in position mm-hmm. and um, they did the induction. They put the folio balloon in mm-hmm. <laughs> first time with my first terrible. Didn't get, get anywhere, but yeah. I was like, I can do this and got in. And uh, so the folio balloon, if anybody doesn't know, they insert <laughs> to open up your cervix. It's not, it's not pleasant. It's okay. Yeah. It does not look like fun. No, but I was like, Jen, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> Like you can do Fran, you can do, <laughs> Fran, you can do right. <laughs> we made it happen. And I labored for two days, two days. I think that was a cutoff. Like I was in there for 48 hours mm-hmm. and I dilated five mm. and um, there's still some, like I have a, a good friend who works in, uh, was in um, labor and delivery and, mm-hmm. and maybe more things could have been done to mm-hmm. help. But then I was at the time limit, which once you go in and I'd heard that in the past, like they have to get you out. Like there's li- not liability, but the chances of things once. Having you, other complications, like infections. Complications, yeah. Your water is broken, the risk of infection, the baby and, and whatnot. So like, okay, we're going to do the section. Mm-hmm. Disappointed. Uh, so disappointing uh, after everything you went through everything but i was like okay let's we're this is happening yeah and with the second so i had all of the so in between the first and the second deli- um, births 
um, a lot had come up in the news about uh, maternal deaths, specifically mm-hmm. with black mothers. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a whole pregnancy with that in my head as well. So trying to yeah. manage that, like, oh my gosh, so much that yeah. boogeyman that if I had never heard it, maybe I wouldn't have been concerned about it. Mm-hmm. But you need to know so that you can make sure you get the care that you need. So it's mm-hmm. so that's going on and freaking out. Yeah, yeah so you're like. Two days of labor, yeah. Labor, like what happens if something happens to me? I remember with the first section telling my husband because we had had a member of our gym pass away in during labor, a traumatic um, experience for our gym. And of course, for the the family of all the women. Yeah. So I had that going into it. And I remember telling him, please keep our son, like not like if something happened to me that you wouldn't. Yeah. Like, give away, like, please take it. Because that's oh. a, that I was afraid. Yeah. You know. You were afraid enough to, to tell them that. Oh. Yeah. Wow. No, I might not. And so then going through it again and uh, just, well, it's it, it still um, bring, even now yeah. I can remember just being there and everything that seems so surreal. Um, and then doing it and not feeling, um, I didn't feel like I had the pain management that I should have had. Mm. I felt everything. I remember yelling at the anesthesia. I need more. Whatever it is you're giving me, this is not enough. <laughs> this is not working. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, feel, I feel. And she's like, oh, just relax. And I was like, which is the worst thing you tell somebody to do when they're when they're in pain. Yeah. Level 100. I was like, you're, you're telling me to relax? And I remember the doctor, she was down there she's like talking she's like oh she's big she hadn't even taken her out yet she's my daughter was big and uh, I was like what does that mean and I kept saying fudge 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 <laughs> and she yells why do you keep saying fudge I was like because I don't want my daughter's first word to be fudge <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure at least you gave them a laugh yeah <laughs> so she's out. She's fine. I get to, but then they whisk her away. Yeah. And so I'm there and they finish doing what they have to do with me. And uh, I end up, I guess all of their rooms are full. So hmm. I was in a recovery hallway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, it was, wow. it was well, on, on medication. And I'm not, I didn't get to skin to skin. So I didn't get to nurse her right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that, t- as soon as I got to my room, I believe that's there was some issues with my blood pressure, and, and, and you're so, like, "Oh gosh, here we go again." But then I was like, "Fine." They, you know, I was in. I did my four days. I was released. Um, went home, so I was released like 11 a.m. About I noticed my feet swelling, but I had major mm-hmm. surgery, so you know things drain. Yeah. Took a picture, showed my doctor. She's like, "Put your feet up." It's probably, you know, just swelling. And I was like, yeah. okay. I had no symptoms of anything, just the swelling. So I'm taking my blood pressure because I know that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Everything started to creep up a little bit. I think it was like 10 o'clock that night. I was I was told if you get 140 over 80, call a doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was like 140 over like, if I remember correctly, like 70, getting close. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to call my doctor and be a pain. It's like, that's, that's me. Like, yeah. I don't have 
blurry, uh, what is it, blurry vision. I don't have a headache. I just, my feet are a little swollen, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure, okay. I take it again and it's up a little higher, like 150 mm. over 85. And one of our members who's a labor delivery nurse that I mentioned, okay. she just happened to text me to see how I was doing. And again, she's my angel. She's still in my life. So that other, yeah. <laughs> she was like, all right, wait five minutes and take it again. And it w- went up and I still haven't heard back from my doctor who I mm-hmm. text her stories. And uh, she's like, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to go back to the labor and delivery floor. And I was like, mm-hmm. what, really? I, I mean, I feel fine. She's like, no, go now. Wow. And so I just got home that day with a new baby and I yeah. also have a two-year-old. <laughs> and it's like, mom, I can't just leave here. <laughs> And Dennis is home. My mom had just gotten into town mm-hmm. and um, Dennis had to drive me back to the hospital. It was 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, I can't go in with you. You have to go up there. And I got the kids at home. I got to go home. Yeah. And help your mother. We have a, 40 a newborn and, yeah. and a two-year-old. And she's like, he's like, call me. If uh, you know, they release you, we'll figure out how to get you home. Yeah. All right. And I go up there and their first question is like, uh, are you pregnant? And I was like, <laughs> no, I had a baby. But I'm not pregnant anymore, but I was told to come back here. Yeah. They're like, what, what? And they finally admit me or not admit me, take me into the triage room mm-hmm. to monitor everything. And I think the next time, I saw them take my blood pressure. I was like 200 over hundred. Jeez. And I, I was like, whoa. And cause I, <laughs> and the, that's scary. I, but I felt again, like I felt, felt, felt okay. if you had not checked it, you would have been at home. You wouldn't have even known. Known. And I, I, I said that to the nurse, I was like, Oh, I feel so silly. And she, this is the first time, like the gravity of it all like mm-hmm. hit me. She's like, honey, if you had waited longer, you were, you could have stroked out and that, it, that could be it. And mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. And that took me a long time to like deal process with that. that. Yeah. Process all that. And so I was readmitted and I ended up in the same room that I've been in. This <laughs> is like, you're back. Right back here. <laughs> back here. Um, yeah. And I was in the hospital for another week wow. to like, figure out how to manage my my blood pressure. Um, and it took again, having an advocate within the system mm-hmm. to help me because my OBGYN, she's in the business of like helping you deliver or yeah. pregnancy, not after I'm not pregnant anymore. And my blood pressure is still high. And so my friend who was a nurse, like pushed to get the cardiologist on board. And so then mm-hmm. they came and we're trying to work to figure out the best strategies to like help me. And uh, yeah, so it was a long journey. And that like, like six, like five, six months after that, I was still being monitored for like blood pressure. But then I think about women who have not been as lucky. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? And the only thing that I come up with is I had somebody Mm-hmm. It was my, you know, that uh, gateway, but just my voice or just had the information I didn't have to make yeah. sure I got the care that I needed. And everybody should get that. They shouldn't yeah. be 
I shouldn't be like a lone case. Like if that, I don't know all the details of the other cases when something has happened, you know, some of the stories I've read where um, at least the mother was black, that she wasn't listened to. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they were listened to, I remember one case in particular, it was too late. Mm-hmm. And she died. Um, and being able to um, communicate effectively with the, the, when I went back in and pushing like, no, I need to, I need to, to be seen. Yeah. Not, not right. And my friend and giving her name because they knew her. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, okay. But everybody didn't have a friend like that. Right. Right. And I, I, right. What if she hadn't texted you that night? You know, I was, I was still sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and that, Ooh, it is scary. And I don't know that she knows how much I love her and <laughs> thank her every day that I'm here. Yeah. I, I might not have been had it, had it not been for her. Wow. So anyway, that's that. Wow. So I'm here and, uh, you know, doing okay. Uh, clearly pregnancy is not, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Twice was enough for you. <laughs> like my my heart and my uh my body can tolerate anymore this if it happens now then then god must want it to happen because (laughs) (laughs) i will leave it after all you went through yeah 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 but yeah we're thankful very thankful so yeah well and you have two beautiful children so congratulations so much to be thankful for there Thank you. Thank you. That was a long story. So <laughs> long story, but, but so much there. And I think what you, especially what you share at the end is just so true through the whole story, right. Is how, how much we need advocates through the whole healthcare system, because mm-hmm. whether it was you going through so many years of struggle to finally find someone just to sit and listen to your story and to be able to put those pieces together mm-hmm. or navigating the system through infertility and then childbirth and just being able to have someone to like really know you and advocate for you, which is so hard, the more our healthcare system becomes more and more sort of detached and it becomes more and more um, sort of like a team sport where everybody plays their role, but there's often not one person who's really like there for you with you every step of the way. You have that one person and also, you know, failed to mention there were other people that were like, you need a team Mm because you have one person just sees one part of the picture. Right. I At least the second pregnancy, I understood the importance of having like the pelvic floor, especially all of these things. If I was going to have this, try to have the vaginal birth that I wanted, like I needed help. I couldn't just, you know rely on Fran. So (laughs) (laughs) though Fran will help, but (laughs) you need more. Yeah. Everything. So I created a team and, you know, between my doula, I made special connections with um, some pelvic floor specialists, some other women. It just, Mm -hmm. I I felt like I had the support that I needed to even like heal afterwards. Cause Mm -hmm. that's difficult. And after you give birth, it's kind of like, you're like done. We got the baby out. Right. And now what? Right. And and how you, like, that was something that you had to figure out yourself, right? Like after you said you learned some things from the first pregnancy and you learned, okay, maybe I need to find this or that team member, or maybe it was through, I don't know if it was through CrossFit or someone that you learned about pelvic floor specialist or like, who do I need on my team? And 
those things aren't always presented as options. So, right. you know, I wish that every woman had, um, had that advocate to say like, let's look at your situation and who are the team members that we need um, to be able to help best help you. And there are people out there. I wish like if I was 20 years younger, I would speak to my 20 year younger self, like yeah. knowing what I in the future. Like I knew that I wanted to have kids eventually Yeah, like, preparing. Like it's, I think my passion now and trying to figure out a good way to uh, not position myself, but to share and maybe help other women is like, it starts before you're trying to get pregnant, like all mm-hmm. of those things and lining up the people that you need. And um, the, Melissa Reed, who's on staff was, you had been through not the same experience as me, but just pushed me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like these are people that you need to see and different trainings that mm-hmm. I, I went through. And um, it's a lifelong <laughs> kind of, thing that you you go through it's not as brief as I thought it was like yeah nine months and then there's a lot more involved in that and then even the recovery from all of mm-hmm. all of the postpartum and yeah is real and uh the the blues and all of that so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um mm-hmm that's a beautiful thing that you had other women who were able to help you that had been through parts or similar situations. And I think, especially as women, like there are so many different phases, like, like you said, like in your younger years and then going through fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, eventually menopause, like there are so many different life stages that we go through as women and to be able to help each other navigate that, I think is so important. It's important and putting together like maybe a toolkit for, yeah. all, for yeah. all ladies like, these are the things that you need to to, to know about and yeah whatever you do with them at least you need to know about like where where you stand on certain things like you know you graduate from high school you get like your diploma or whatever I, I don't know what we would call it but women yeah. are things that you need to check in on absolutely and, you know some young ladies said well I'm not thinking about kids yet and mm-hmm. I was like well, you may not be thinking about them yet, but you need to plan for them now. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just like all the important things that you don't learn in school, right? Like about finances and Uh periods and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) They can do now. Like now they can freeze eggs and do all all that. Like finding the right place and like how do you do all that? And uh, yeah, there's a lot to navigate. A lot to navigate. uh, Mm-hmm. But thankfully, I think I've done all right being figuring things out on the fly and as they came up. So, yeah, I think you've done really well, really yeah. well. Um, you mentioned a couple of things specific to your experience as a Black woman going through this whole process. Are there things that you would like um just for anyone else who's maybe a healthcare provider listening or other black women who are navigating going through health issues, dealing with the healthcare system, like what would you like to share there? I think, you know, I never thought about it until I heard about it per se. Like mm-hmm. I it's, sometimes until that thought is put in your head, you assume that you're receiving the yeah. best that you should get. And maybe yeah. not. Like people make assumptions about you and it may be unconscious. Mm-hmm. I believe I like to believe that everybody is trying to do the best that they can. Yeah. With the 
Yeah. I think most people, I would hope, at least in healthcare, most people are trying to. Yeah. But I guess for other Black women, I would say if you're about to go through the journey that I'm going through, make sure you fully, it's you can switch doctors. You can Mm. do all these things. If you don't feel comfortable, make sure you're comfortable and that they're listening to you. Yeah. That you're aware of of potential risks that may be out there and you plan for them. Like we can't eliminate all risk, like Mm -hmm. even minimize the best that we can. Mm -hmm. It is supposed to be a happy time. So you don't want to be thinking negatively, but you want to plan for those things. So finding the right doctor who listened to you, who Mm -hmm. not going to brush you aside and be like, Oh, you're fine. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're not fine. Yeah. And you, you, everybody I think has a, as a a um a feeling about somebody when they meet them, whether or not, like don't dismiss it. Like listen to those little voices and get a different doctor. <laughs> if that's if it if it comes down to that. Absolutely. Then, you know, getting the support you need. I tell everybody, get a public see a public floor uh, PT. Mm-hmm. You need to. And people are like, oh brush it off, uh, insurances. If you can financially, because sometimes it's out of pocket, I highly recommend it. it the my friends they're now friends they're, <laughs> yeah. I've been like invaluable to me in terms mm-hmm. of my recovery mm-hmm. and just feeling okay like you <laughs> it was yeah. experience I went through like no you're good and, and then if you're an athlete is on top of that you want to make sure you can return back to the things that you enjoy so mm-hmm. that's even important because it's like okay in 10 weeks you can start walking and whatever right I'm like I want to you know do these other things, <laughs> navigate all of that part. So finding there's, there's courses out there now um, that kind of help women steer, mm-hmm. um, uh, get back into fitness afterwards. Mm-hmm. So a lot of resources out there. So I, I steer women towards those resources and help how I can to mm-hmm. have a good recovery. So I guess that's the big thing, like advocate for yourself, trust your gut, and listen to that intuition. Yeah, it is a powerful thing. Powerful thing. Build your team, and um, you know, don't don't be too scared. <laughs> that's that's me. I get like nervous. You right, like plan, but don't let don't let the fear yeah. overtake you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just plan, and uh, that's all we can do. It's amazing. <laughs> Any um, specific resources that you would like to share that you found helpful or that you recommend for me? Um, I have, hmm, my, I have a friend, it's, and it escapes me, I'll have to send it to you, but it's, it's, um, mom wit return. She has a site, but her name is Tanya and she's a mm-hmm. midwife and she okay. really helped me a lot. She does a lot of work in, um, she, they call them catching babies. Yes. Yeah. And how their total number of catches, but she <laughs> catch and now she just supports women she's she doesn't practice i don't think midwifery anymore she's not catching but she like help is a great resource and um there's other sites out there i know the physio detective Mm -hmm. um, anthony yeah he's got a lot of i attended his course when i was like seven months pregnant oh wow (laughs) 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 it was i mean helps tremendously in terms of um how I even train other people. Mm -hmm. What about this? Asking more questions. So helpful. Um, 
as a as a resource and um, that I've used personally. So those are two for sure. And I'm trying to think some other ones. Um, there's many out there. So whatever you look into questions mm-hmm. and if you're not getting the right answer, then go somewhere else. Like, mm-hmm. don't, be yeah. afraid. don't take the first thing that somebody offers you at, at first blush, just do your research, I guess, like with everything um, and plan. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's good. Then, you know, but you can only plan so much. What is it? It was Mike Tyson saying, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. You never know when you're going to get punched. You never, right? know. you never know, but at least you're 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 better prepared and set up for success. Um, yeah. Those are people that, that branched off and, and gave me um access to other people that have been a part of my team so that's great well um i would love to start wrapping up with three questions i ask everyone at the end of the podcast so one is what are the three things that you do now on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health i do yoga every morning oh i love that so i do 20 to 30 minutes um i meditate for mm-hmm. 10 to 30 minutes once or twice a day mm-hmm. and the third is move exercise doing crossfit mm-hmm. and of course like love on my little family so i add that for <laughs> yeah you've got to use that <laughs> that's amazing i love that what about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on? Working on the sleep part, but partly because- That's have, hard with two little ones. <laughs> I have not slept in four years, so. <laughs> but I need to do better. That's one that my doctor and I are continuing to work on. Like you yeah. need to get more sleep, but I'm a night owl and mm. um, that's when I'm most creative. Unfortunately, yeah. my children, are they get up. So yeah. that's- <laughs> doesn't really work <laughs> that one so hopefully that'll you know help <laughs> keep that's me good. going in the right direction <laughs> that's great last question is what does a healthy life look like to you jen mm, healthy life good food good friends and lots of love <laughs> that's a healthy life for me i love it i love it good food good friends and lots of love that's perfect yeah. Well, and uh, hopefully I hope everybody has that in their life because. Yes. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about. Right. Love it. Well, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed listening to your whole story and I just appreciate how courageous you are for sharing it because you've been through so much and had to have so much patience and endurance um, to be able to get to where you are today. And I just hope that, you know, from here on out, you don't have, uh, you have a very positive experience with your health and the healthcare system and just enjoy being with those little ones. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me so much. And, uh, you know, hope everybody, they may see me as a certain, in a certain light, but everybody has a story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, don't ever forget that. So extend grace to everyone you see and don't assume anything about anybody because you never know. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. And I think that, you know, one of those big takeaways that I'm taking away from this is also that idea of, you know, just because you're, you're fit and you're doing all the things right, doesn't mean you're immune from having complications, your health and 
it's always important to to get checked out. Make sure you're doing everything you can. Anniversary. I think we talked about that one other time. Uh, if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to believe I'd have like the beautiful like experience, be pregnant, all, all yeah. Things. But I feel like a CrossFit, or that's a part of it. But just my commitment to health and fitness mm-hmm. makes me strong enough to to deal with those things where somebody who base or foundation might not have been. So I had to turn that negative thought into a positive by saying like, why, why not me instead of why me? Yeah. Yeah. More often. Absolutely. And how you turn it into a positive by being an advocate for other people and sharing your story. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.